Good morning, South Shores Church. Today is concluding our summer psalm series. We've done one each summer for quite a while now. And uh, this summer we've been calling it Multifaceted, Developing a Dimensional Prayer Life. And uh, this whole section of psalms are psalms of confidence and uh, in the Lord. And uh, today we're looking at Psalm 23, which is probably the most famous piece of scripture in the world and uh, one of the best known and best loved. And, and so I want you to turn there with me. It was written by King David, and it's uh, often read or quoted at, at times of stress or sorrow or loss. And um, so it's only six verses long. It's short. And uh, David is talking about his relationship with God. And uh, in the, his relationship with God in this life, and his relationship with God in death, and his relationship with God in life after death. And so if you've got it, uh, let's just read it together, shall we? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now David, who wrote this psalm, lived about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And uh, he, he had been considered by many to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And God had promised him that the kingdom of David would last forever. And thanks to Jesus, it does and it will. And before David was king, he was a statesman, a warrior, a musician, a poet. And before that, he was the eighth son of an anonymous family in a little obscure village called Bethlehem. And his job as a boy was to be the shepherd of the family sheep to keep them protected and provided for, and to account for all of them. I'm sure all of those older seven brothers had taken turns, and as soon as they could hand the job off to the next guy, they did so joyfully. And David was the last, and so he was shepherd for, uh, for probably quite a while. But God's hand was on his life. And uh, starting early in his life, David was a person who prayed. He prayed. And he's called a man after God's own heart. Let us be those kind of people too. People who pray. People who are chasing the heart of God. Now, I was thinking about this. Give you a little disclaimer. I, I was never a shepherd. I've never been around sheep very much other than seeing them over in a pasture. I, I didn't provide care for a sheep as a small boy. But I did raise chickens. And... Um, my parents were missionaries in Africa, and so one of my first little business ventures was to buy day-old baby chicks uh, with my dad. We had this chicken farm together, and we would buy 50 or 100 at a time. We bought hundreds of chickens. And from day one with little chicks until, uh, you know, when they crow, they were ready to eat. And that happens at about three months. And so you're feeding them, you're caring for them, you're watering them and making sure they're safe. And as soon as they crow, the little roosters, you know, now they're going to be lunch for Sunday. And uh, that Saturday morning chores is to get out there and to, uh, uh, to kill and to clean as, as many as were crowing. And then to save the hens and then to, to gather the eggs. 
and to provide for our family and then sell them to neighbors and to just run the little business. In fact, uh, the apron that I would wear when we went out to work on chickens was they lay in the pen or they lie in the pan. And um, so I I got thinking about this. Sheep and chickens are, uh, in some ways, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, neither chickens or sheep are very bright. And neither of them has a killer instinct. In fact, they run when they get scared and they make lots of noise and they stink and they make messes and they both make great snacks for wild animals. And neither chickens or sheep do very well caring for themselves or protecting themselves. They both need help finding food and water and they're both raised to end up on the dinner table. So I would guess David's job as a shepherd was long, hard work of feeding and watering and protecting and resting the sheep and assessing their needs. And then there would be long, long stretches of boredom punctuated by sheer moments of terror when a lamb, a lion would show up or a bear would show up for a tender morsel and it was David's job to protect the sheep. And somewhere in those long, lonely stretches, David must have practiced his music because a little later in his life, he was good enough on the harp to become the king's musician of choice for background dinner music for the king. And somewhere in those long, lonely stretches, David must have practiced his skills of self-defense because he became famous at a young age for using his sling and a stone to bring down the giant Philistine champion, the enemy named Goliath. And somewhere in those long, lonely stretches, David began to talk to God. Maybe it's when he was scared in the dark. Maybe when he was homesick and everybody was at home without him. Maybe when he was so tired of his routine of doing lots of nothing and then having sheer terror. Maybe he was, when he was being teased and taunted by his seven older brothers. Oh, you think that didn't happen? For whatever reason, David prayed. David talked to God. And he wrote songs and poems about God. God was present in his life. See, somewhere in those long, lonely stretches, David must have noticed the world around him and contemplated how beautiful and how intricate and how balanced and how big everything was. And that there must be a creator. He wrote several psalms about that. Maybe it was at night when the flock of sheep was just settling down to go to sleep and David could finally sit back and see the whole sky full of stars. See, the job of the shepherd was given to this young boy because it was thought of as necessary but tedious, unpleasant, boring, even though it was important, anonymous. And God was watching. And God took notice of this young lad God had his hand on David's life before David even knew it. And David was not aware of it, but God was using the sheep and the shepherd boy experience in the field as a training ground for David for bigger and better things. Now, I'll just note this, that God is at work in your life too, even in ways that you may not be aware. And he's going to use things in your life as a training ground for bigger and better things. There might be things that are tedious or unpleasant or irritating or boring or anonymous or you wish you didn't have to do. God will use even those. Give them to him as a gift. Somewhere in there, David must have thought, look at all I do for these silly sheep. They are clueless. They are so simple. 
They are so shallow. They are, spend their day thinking uh, about and looking for their next bite. And the sheep never wonder, what's our shepherd thinking about? Well, the shepherd would say, I spend my whole day thinking about their needs, their food, their water, their rest, their medications, their fleas, their flies, their wool, their size, their strength. I spend my life thinking about them. And they're clueless. And they're selfish. And they're self-centered. They would have no hope of survival without a shepherd, without his care, without his protection. And then David had the thought, God is like a shepherd to me. I'm not thinking his thoughts. I'm pretty selfish. But God provides for me. God protects me. God guides me along the path of life and has a plan and a place for me in heaven forever. God loves me. So David wrote this psalm half about God and half to God, picturing God as his shepherd. And he gives three great reasons to be thankful and confident in the Lord. And those are the same three reasons why we would choose Jesus the Lord to be our great shepherd as well. So here's the three reasons to choose Jesus the Lord to be your shepherd. Number one, the good shepherd provides everything for the sheep in this life. Look again at the first few verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's talking about relationship. That God is the shepherd, we're the sheep, and God is in charge. This phrase, I shall not want, I think has gotten twisted several different ways, unfortunately. I, I think some people have thought, if I love Jesus, I won't have any wants. I will live on easy street, everything will be fulfilled, anything I want, I'll get. Not, it doesn't work that way. That only leads to disappointment. Or we think, or if I love Jesus, I won't have any desires left for anything in this world. But you know that's not true. Because we still struggle with our sin nature, even though it has been broken in our life. So that could just be guilt-inducing. I think the best translation is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything good that I need. I shall not lack. God doesn't meet all our greeds, but he does provide and care for all of our needs. God has his eye on his own. You ever been around a watchful parent with a toddler? They may be talking to you, but they're visually stalking their little one as they're walking around, as they're checking stuff out, as they're picking up dirt and putting it in their mouth or whatever. They, God has his eye on you the same way that parent has their eye on the little person. So are you anxious today? You can relax. God will see you through. You know, we, we received that, the care offering, the, with the deacon fund. Some of you here might have great need today. Well, then just come and ask. We'll help. You can relax. God has got you. Some of you here today might have great abundance. You could come and give generously. God would use you. You would be an answer to prayer in somebody's life. See, God provides, and he sometimes puts it in these people's pockets to give to those, then everybody is blessed, and God could use us either way. Verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here he's talking about balance, work and rest. Sheep need to eat, and they need to be still. 
They need to be, have water to drink that is still. It's not running water. That's scary to a sheep. You know, and if they fall in with a big wool coat on, they're not going to last. And if you fell into a moving stream with a big thick coat on, you probably would have a struggle too. Then the sheep need rest, even if they don't want it. Now, God, who created all of us, created man and woman in his image, but he also created us with certain limitations that he does not have. So he modeled for us that you work for six days and have a day of rest. God did that as an example. After all, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't sleep. God never gets worn out. He, he never needs food. He never needs water. His body never breaks down. He doesn't get sick. He's not human. He's immortal. He's divine. God doesn't get wrinkles. He doesn't get illness. He will never die. Now, we are more like the sheep. We need food. We need water. We need rest regularly. And some of you hearing this today have the weight of the world on your shoulders. You think you're carrying those heavy burdens all by yourself. And you don't need to. I know that some there are heavy things that we've got for family or friends or for the world around us. But you know, in the Bible, there's this prophet named Elijah. And he overexerted himself doing the important work of God. Exposing the sinful king, taking on uh, the, the, the prophets of, of the evil religion, praying down rain after a three and a half year drought. He overdid himself. And God's remedy was give him a time out, put him to sleep, wake him up and give him something to eat, have him take another sleep, get up and eat again, take a time out and worship God. And when we follow the good shepherd's guidance to find balance in our life, when we have work and rest and worship each day, each week, even when all the work isn't done, David says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. See it there in verse 3? Sometimes our souls need to be restored because we've gotten into sin. Today is a great day to come before the Lord and to confess sin. Maybe it's private. Maybe only you know. But to ask his forgiveness once again and he will forgive you, and to repent, and to turn from it. Communion Sunday is a great day to ask the Lord, is there a sin in my life, something I'm doing I should avoid, something I'm avoiding that I should be doing? Has my heart wandered away from my first love for the Lord? And renew and refresh that love today. Sometimes our soul needs to be restored because we've gotten beaten up by life, taken more than our share of setbacks, or rejections, made mistakes that had consequences, costly consequences. Have you ever known anybody that for any unreasonable reason they had a fender bender? Oh, maybe it was your fault. Maybe it wasn't your fault, but it didn't matter. A good car got abused in the process and now it needed to be restored so that it could be put back into use. God does that. Soul restorations are his specialty. Ask him today. Sometimes we just get beat up, fender-bendered out there in life. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 1, and it talked about two paths. One is the way of God and of, e of uh, righteousness and eternal life. And the other is the way of the wicked, the way of the world, the way of selfish scoffers. It ends in death. 
And David said, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That would be into the, the path of relationship with God, into forgiveness, into purpose, into eternal life with God's friendship. That's not the path of the natural man. That's not the path of the natural sheep. It's not the path they would take. I mean, think, sheep choosing their own path? That is not a good idea. It only ends in tears. <laughs> Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus talked about this too. He says, The path to destruction is wide. There's lots of people on it. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We want to be in that group of few who go looking to find the way to life that is truly life. And the good shepherd leads us in that path if we just follow him. He leads you into righteousness. How does God lead our lives into paths of righteousness? Let me give you three answers to that. Number one, in God's holy word, the Bible. Our lives need to be anchored in God's word. We are committed to this as one of our core values here at South Shores. In fact, we'll be talking about this next week, that we believe that this is God's inspired word to people in this world. And we're going to take it very seriously and order our lives by what God tells us in his word. The second thing is God's Holy Spirit. At the moment that you ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, to live in your heart, we say. He is your constant companion, companion to your every thought, every word, every activity, every decision. And then the third, besides God's Holy Word and God's Holy Spirit, is God's holy people. To gather together with God's people and to encourage one another. That's why we felt like we had to open an option for people to be able to see each other. I've appreciated those of you who show up here in person in the parking lot. If you want this same kind of opportunity next week, go down to the, to the lawn. Just bring your same chair. We'll have a big screen out there. You'll be able to see it all down there. Still be outside. Or... You also could come sit next to almost any flower box here at church because there's a speaker in it and you'll be able to hear the service even if you can't see. And I'm pretty average looking, so you're kind of, you know, you'll know what you're missing. Um, you'd just be able to see. Um, I mean, you'd be able to hear God's word proclaimed. So God's holy word, God's holy spirit, and God's holy people. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When we are on the path of righteousness, when we are doing God's work, God is so pleased. He is so proud of you. And it's like he's bursting with pride to say, I've offered myself to them and they are following me as their shepherd. That's my boy. That's my girl. And when we let God direct our lives, when we are immersing our thoughts in God's holy word, when we got, listen to, to God's voice of his spirit leading us in our heart. When we let God direct our lives by joining us into the body of believers, his family on earth, the local church, then our lives bring glory to God. And that is why you were born. So God leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And our choice is to choose gratitude and to live in contentment. To choose gratitude and to live into contentment. To say fewer gimmies and more thank yous. 
So let's review. The good shepherd provides everything for the sheep in this life. But that's not the end of the story. Number two, the good shepherd protects the sheep from evil in the face of death. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we don't talk about it. We try to avoid it. It's uncomfortable for most people. We try to delay it. But sooner or later, life in this world ends in death. It's one for one. Every person born dies sooner or later. People of the world think it's tragic. It's the end. You'll never see this person again. They think death is the, the, the conclusion, the end. But surprise, death is not the end. It's just a doorway into eternity. And when our body dies, our spirit steps into the presence of God. Those who have the Lord as their shepherd don't cross through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Why? Because the shepherd is there. So there's not the fear of the unknown or of the alone. I mean, think about it. The good shepherd, you would be able to say, you have guided me when I needed food, when I needed water. You've carried me when I needed rest. You've given me protection and care. So I can trust you with my life. I can trust you in the valley of the shadow of death. Notice the first three verses. The sheep had it pretty good. There's no want. All needs are met. They're in green pastures. There's calm waters. Their soul is refreshed and restored. They're dallying along the paths of righteousness. The birds are singing. The bees are buzzing. Life is good. David talks about God in complimentary ways. But when he gets to the valley, where life is downhill, where times are tough, where there are things lurking in the shadows, where there's evil and fear is present and genuine concerns, then David talks to God. It gets more important. It gets more personal. When, you know, when your life's working pretty well, you can have a tendency to think, God, I'm handling this pretty well on my own. Thank you. But when we get to the valley of the shadow and the real possibility of death, when we realize that without God's intervention, we have no hope, then it gets more personal. We can't do it alone. We have to trust God. We have to leave our lives in the hands of the good shepherd. Pastor John Piper said it this way. We are more prone to talk about God when we're in the green pasture. And we're more prone to cry out to God when we enter some fearful ravine. Well, what would you say to someone who knows all about God and has kept God at arm's length most of their life? They've known God for a long time. Maybe their parents shared faith with them early in life. So they know God, but they ignore God. What would you say to somebody like that that suddenly has found out that they have cancer or an incurable life-ending disease and they feel that they've heard all the preaching they ever want to hear? Why would anybody want to face the valley of death alone? Turn to Jesus while you can. Jesus wants to be your best friend. Most of you know that I grew up uh, spending a few years in boarding school as a missionary kid in Africa. That was many moons ago. Well, somebody in the boarding school about two years ago thought, you know, our class should have a reunion. It's been a long time. And so they began to plan one for 2020 in Pennsylvania. And they thought it would be a good idea. And then COVID hit. And so 
Some people still made it to the reunion. Most of us didn't. And so they offered us Zoom. Now, I turned, tuned into the Zoom, and I'm watching these people. I remember them from long ago. I don't recognize any of them. I recognize their names. And uh, I haven't kept contact with any of them except one. And to think, okay, in the last five decades, a lot has happened. Got my braces off, finished school, got married, you know, had a job, had a different job, had kids, had grandkids, had some successes, some defeats, some lost loves along the way, kept some enthusiasm. But here's people who, you understand, haven't been around since puberty, okay? And now they're showing up and they're talking about renewing all these friendships. Well, to me, they just look like a bunch of old people. And they were talking about boring stuff. And if I had a problem, I would never ask any of them for help. And I thought, if you haven't been around for the last 50 years, why would you want to engage now? Well, you see, time and distance and indifference and past hurts and other reasons too, the relationships have lapsed through inactivity. The relationships have lapsed, you understand, through inactivity. Now, you do not want that to be a summary of your relationship with God. That, yeah, I knew God when I was a kid, but I left him somewhere around puberty. But now I need him at the end. David's only spent a few years tending sheep, but he obviously had kept current his relationship with God, a relationship of love that was close and personal and significant and meaningful and every day. Now, Think about this too. The sheep don't know it, but most sheep in that part of the world were being raised to be a sacrificial lamb. So they were being cared for, but they were ultimately going to give their blood as a sacrifice for sin, to cover the sin of someone else. Even Jesus, when he began his ministry, John the Baptist pointed him out and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had full disclosure. He knew in advance coming into this world that he would die for the sin of men and women, boys and girls. And yet he chose it anyway because he loves you that much. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects his sheep from evil, even in the face of death. Look at verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There are always enemies. There are always opponents. The good shepherd holds them back, protects the sheep, feeds them, celebrates with them, blesses them extravagantly. He says, my cup overflows. Even in times of great difficulty, even when hounded by your opponents in this world, even when facing death, those who have chosen Jesus to be their great shepherd are protected and cared for and nourished and celebrated. Their hearts are filled with the joy of the Lord because we have him inside. The world can't understand this, and it can't fake that either. And it can't duplicate it or explain why the followers of Jesus are filled with joy. But even in the midst of suffering and persecution, there is Jesus, and he is the shepherd of his flock. So our choice is to choose to trust and live in companionship with Jesus himself. Choose to trust and live in companionship. So the good shepherd protects the sheep from evil in the face of death. And the good shepherd promises eternal life for his sheep on judgment day. And then number three, he promises eternal life for his sheep 
on Judgment Day. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Life is not over when you die. It's not over when you die. There is life beyond death. When you die in this world and leave your body behind, you find yourself in the presence of God. Make sure at that moment that it will be a joyous one because of Jesus. Make sure that you've asked him to be your savior, to be your shepherd, that you've kept your relationship current and alive and meaningful and filled with love. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In this life, those who love the Lord are the sheep of his pasture. And the Lord provides blessings and forgiveness and closeness all the time. God is consistent and trustworthy. That's God's nature. And then David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the next life, to be lived in God's house and in his presence forever. Our choice is to choose Jesus and live in confidence now, knowing that he's got the forever taken care of. So how? How can the good shepherd provide all this for us? Because he became the sacrificial lamb. His body was broken on the tree. His blood was poured out as our sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 10, twice, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. And he also said twice, I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the only way in. He's the only way to get right with God. So if you take the elements that you have, and if you've got one of these little portable ones, just give it a good shake. And near the top, is this is just a little picture. It's a little reminder. It'd like be like putting a, a string on your finger when you're going shopping or having your wife send you a text. Say, hey, don't forget this. All right? But Jesus, when he was with his closest followers, said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for offering yourself for us for laying down your life for the sheep, for being the door so that we can get into the sheepfold, that your body was broken so that we might be whole. Jesus also said this is cup, is the blood of the covenant. I shed my blood for you, he said. All of you drink of it. Dear Jesus, even as we drink this, May we be reminded of your sacrifice, of your love, of your awesome care for us as your sheep. And may we be drawn to love you more and to live in the joy of the Lord every day. Amen.